So if you'd like to be seated, James is going to come up and bring us our readings, and then Paul is going to be preaching. Morning, everybody. I'm going to read some rather beautiful and hopeful words from Isaiah to begin with, and then from the very start of Mark. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And now from Mark 1, John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. 
After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Things can only get better. What do you reckon to that? Um, a song that spent uh, four weeks at the top of the charts way back in January 1994. Some of you too young to remember it. It was also the theme tune for Labour's successful election campaign under Tony Blair. But uh, I assure you this isn't going to be a, a political sermon this morning. And uh, one of the things we recognised as well as the staff team uh, a week or so ago when we were gathering on a Monday morning was that as we come to this season of the year, lots of the readings and lots of the carols that we sing make reference to, to Israel. And um, it's very easy to just, especially if we don't know the context of the, the carols, to, to read some lines on the screen and think, how on earth does that apply to the situation we're in today where there is so much turmoil in, in that part of the world? So over these next few weeks, I'd really encourage you to look out for the words of the carols. And if in some places they jar slightly, be using them as a basis to pray for that part of the world. Things can only get better. But what do you make of that notion? Can things only get better? If you were to look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 um, make for pretty depressing reading on the whole. They're full of warnings and judgments against Israel, a nation buried in idolatry and losing its way, a nation overwhelmed by the Assyrians who've come from the north around and about 730 BC. Thousands of Israel's inhabitants have been relocated and the nation is disheartened and bereft. But Isaiah keeps reminding them of the faithfulness of God, whilst their lives don't seem to reflect that truth. Things can only get better. And then we come to Isaiah 40, which brings some good news. Now I'd encourage you on your phones uh, to turn to Isaiah 
chapter 40, the uh, first of the readings that James brought, James brought to us this morning. Because in this chapter there is good news, there is hope on the horizon. God has not forgotten the people of Israel. But we have to be a little bit careful how we read this and subsequent chapters because these chapters speak into a time 150 years later when the people are in exile in Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem is destroyed and their lives, once again, are a misery. Out of a frying pan, into the fire. Now, because of this time lag of the two different historical events, some scholars believe that Isaiah 40 marks the start of a different book with a different author, what they'd call Deutero-Isaiah, second Isaiah. Well, there's no time to get into that this morning, but needless to say, for the people of Israel, things would actually get worse before they got better. But this is still a message of hope, a multi-layered one, it brings hope to those returning from captivity in Babylon. It brings hope in the form of a messenger to come, one who would prepare the way, who we equate to John the Baptist. It brings a hope and promise of the coming King, Jesus, and the assurance of the unchanging nature of God. Three encouragements, three exhortations from God through the prophets to the people and to us today. The first is keep the faith. Things were pretty bleak. A people wallowing in despair, living like refugees in a foreign land. The temple, the place associated with God's presence, destroyed. Their city, desolate. Had God deserted them? Not for one moment. And Isaiah brings word of, words of comfort and tenderness. Yes, they've been through a hard time, and much of that is of their own making. But they've paid their dues, and God is still looking out for them. And so we read in verse 2, Her hard service has been completed, her sin has been paid for. Notice the language there, the idea of sin being paid for, it wasn't a new one. But in Old Testament times, this was achieved through the sacrificial system in the temple. As we hear those words today, we think of what was to come. The time when our failings would be redeemed in a different way, through the death of Jesus on the cross, once for all. Israel can be hopeful because, verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. God will reveal his majesty, his presence, his power in a new way. Don't despair. Things may seem bleak at the moment, but God's plan for humanity is being revealed. And Isaiah proclaims, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, what he says can be trusted. Whatever circumstances you're buried in at the moment, people of Israel, God is there for you. His purposes will be worked out. That's a message for us as individuals today. Whatever situations we might be facing, whatever struggles and, and trials, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. His promises hold true for us. Keep the faith. And with this in mind, get ready. Prepare the way. 
I was in Uganda a, a few years ago uh, with a team of adults and young people from my previous church, and Kampala was about to host the um, Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, or Chogum for, for short. The Queen was coming to Uganda for the first time in 53 years. And because we were a group of uh, white men and women wandering through the markets and different parts of Uganda, of Kampala, whenever people saw us, they'd be uh, muttering to themselves, Chogum, Chogum, thinking we were some sort of group of representatives of the, of the Commonwealth. And so in the markets, on buses, around the hotels and lodges, it was Chogum, Chogum, Chogum. And the government was getting ready. The Ugandan roads, those of you who've been to Uganda will know, the Ugandan roads are not quite up to scratch at the best of times. But they're in the process of freshly tarmacking the route that the Queen and the foreign dignitaries would take from Entebbe Airport into the city and to various tourist spots. But it was amusing, and quite sad actually, that you could drive on this newly tarmac road to the zoo and the botanical gardens, for instance, but the tarmac would suddenly come to a, a, a dramatic halt and be replaced by dirt tracks as soon as you got past the turning the Queen and the dignitaries would make. Verges were being, uh, being tidied, bunting was being erected, Street children were being removed from the streets of Kampala and bussed out of town. The Ugandan government was preparing the way, what we might term rolling out the red carpet, for one specific instance that would have an effect for a few weeks and possibly some of the decisions made for a few months, few years. Well, Isaiah's message is one of greater significance of preparing the way for the Messiah. Ali spoke of being prepared last week, getting ready for the coming of Messiah, both in celebration of Christmas, his first coming, and for his triumphant return. And we get prepared. We get prepared by living a life of holiness and putting him at the center of our lives. In the New Testament, John the Baptist is the latest in the line of prophets, preparing the way of Jesus calling people to repent and turn back to God. A radical message, but one that the world needed to hear then and needs to hear today. It's not one of preparing roads, ultimately, it's of preparing hearts. And so the message is, keep the faith, get ready. And then the third element I've picked out of this is, is look to me, look to me, says God. When all things around us are crumbling, where do we turn? If we experience a breakdown in a family relationship, an unexpected and debilitating health episode, financial hardship, whether we're just feeling the despair at the state of the world today, we could just bury ourselves in some sort of fantasy world. We could buy into a political ideology. We could seek solace in alcohol or drugs. We could try and find comfort in the arms of another person or search for meaning by burying ourselves in our work, morning, noon, and night. But these things can never hold the answers. And Isaiah exhorts his audience then and his readers now to look to the one faithful and true God. And so in verses 6 and 7, there's a real reminder of the fragility of human life. 
of our temporary and whimsical nature. And this is compared to the enduring word of God. To find fulfillment, we're to base our lives on his commands and promises, not by trying to do things our own way. And in verses 9 to 11 then, we're introduced to some of the characteristics of this God. Characteristics that men and women, boys and girls, needed reminding of then and need reminding of now. We're reminded of God's power and might. God is not to be messed with. Isaiah has been saying all along, you can't go on like this, turning your back on God, doing your own thing, building your idols and living self-centered lives. You'll get what you deserve. And as faithful followers of our Lord today, we mustn't lose sight of that dimension of God's character, his power and might. That's why in our communion service, we often speak out together, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. But alongside that comes the imagery and the language of gentleness, the imagery of the shepherd, the one who lovingly tends his flock, who gathers up the lambs in his arms and gently leads those that have young. These words and characteristics embodied by the one who would come as the good shepherd 600 years later, Jesus the Messiah. The God of power and might on one hand, but the God who is the shepherd, the good shepherd. Things can only get better. Well, maybe not in any sort of linear sort of way where we expect that tomorrow will be better than today and today better than yesterday, but with a perspective that trusts in the promises of God, a perspective proclaimed afresh by John the Baptist and fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah and moving towards their ultimate fulfillment in the return of Christ in glory. Things can only get better. So let's keep the faith. Let's be prepared. Let's get ready. Let's look to the only one who can save and rescue his people. Let's pray. Father God, your word uh, written all those years ago spoke into a time of great uh, turmoil and struggle and uncertainty. You spoke words of truth, words of encouragement, words of promise. And thank you, Lord, that those same words speak to us today. And so however we might be feeling about our lives, about the world, about your purposes, we pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to hold to those promises to keep that faith, to be ready and to be looking to you, our strength and our redeemer. So encourage us, Lord, we pray. And we pray that in a world with so much need, that your message 
will be heard by many for the first time during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.